Welcome back to the Hoops Double Podcast. Y'all know me, Nathan Schwartz. Joining me in New Zealand, Dylan Williamson. Hello, hello. And joining us within a few hour radius of San Francisco, getting ready for the Niners Super Bowl uh, championship or tragedy, Aaron Schroeder. Good to see you guys. Um, the rest of this month hinges on today. I'm not like a I'm not a diehard football fan, but like some of my earliest sports memories is Niners versus Ravens, like standing there being like a little kid asking, I think like my neighbor, I was like, are the Niners going to win? And he said, yes. And then we lost. (laughs) And so I remember that when I was 12. And then I also, I worked, I was working at a sushi restaurant the last time the Niners made the Super Bowl and they played the Chiefs in 2019 or 20, I guess it was 2020 at the time. But, um, and uh, no one came in because who goes to a sushi restaurant? So I just like sat there and watched my Niners get, uh, get pulled apart. Like slowly, it wasn't like the like a I, we didn't get destroyed, but it was like surgical. Um, so I have a lot of pain built up from uh from almost winning it all. I have no idea what it's like for my favorite team to win a championship. The idea of it happening in any sport is almost incomprehensible. Yeah, I, I had one season of following football, um, and the Niners were also my team. Um, it was so long ago though that Colin Kaepernick was still standing for the anthem. Um, it was the year that they lost on the intercept on the goal line. So my one season of you know watching every single every single Niners game um, ended in ended in heartbreak as well. So I'm I'm pretty much right there with you. <laughs> yeah, we're we're doing the same thing. <laughs> and I have no real football alliances or fandoms except for I grew up with a best friend that was a diehard Packers fan. Like literally had the Brett Favre like bed sheets like comforter. Brett Favre lamp when we were like eight. Walla. Yeah. I mean, that man is a true champion dedicated to winning. Then I moved to Michigan where my friends were like, hey, let's get into football. Like, come on, Nate, let's let's watch some football. And it was the Lions 0-16 season. Uh, So that um, didn't didn't make me want to be a Lions fan. But yeah, you imagine there's, there's some kid in Detroit right now that his friends are like, hey, let's get into basketball. And then he watches yeah. them go, you know, <laughs> oh, and 22. But yeah. maybe it's not for me. <laughs> there is art to loving bad teams, though. I decided to get into baseball last season, like heavily, and I chose the A's because I'm pretty close. And I also hey, don't like the Giants just from, okay, people who like the Giants are douchebags. And I'm just like the, the baseball Giants. I'm just going to toss that out there. Um, <laughs> it's so tricky because being like, in this area it's like all right kings is it kings warriors niners raiders giants a's can you get that all right and it's so rare that you perfect the kings niners a's trio which is the correct choice like the warriors raiders the someone out there is a warriors raiders and (laughs) giants fan and i i wish pain upon you i'm sorry (laughs) i will say i had a brief moment of loving the chargers uh when they first moved to la i was like I'm just going to align all my sports teams because I had my Lakers fandom from having lived in LA and being a Lakers fan there. Uh, and then like moved away. I was like, oh, hey, we have an LA team. Uh, I got Todd Gurley on my fantasy team that year. And I was like, cool. The Rams? Rams, you're right. You yeah. see how you see how well that uh, stuck. <laughs> Not a football well, guy. There's too many teams in LA anyways. Exactly. You got the Clippers, you got the Lakers, you got the Kings. The fact that there's an LA Kings just really pisses me off. No. I don't know who came first, Sacramento or LA. So in That's a good hockey. question, actually. I don't know. Let me I'm gonna look that up. I'm curious. It makes me mad. But 
You know what else makes me mad? The fact that we had nothing that exciting happen at the deadline. I'd like to start by posing you guys a question. Was Bojan Bogdanovic the best player moved at the de- at the trade deadline? Before I answer that, uh, the Los Angeles Kings were founded in 1968, so about 20 years, about 20 years before the Sacramento Kings, so we actually copied oh. them. Um, is Bojan Bogdanovic the best player moved at the deadline? Who's the competition? It's him, it's like PJ Washington. I like Daniel Gafford. I kind of like what the Mavs did, just in terms of the players they brought in. Yeah, probably, right? Buddy Hill, Spencer Dinwiddie, mm. technically got traded. Dinwiddie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fucking right. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say yes, unless I'm, unless I'm blatantly forgetting someone. And that was like pretty early in the day, too. It was like one of the first moves. And from the Pistons' perspective, what a disaster. I don't know. I Just in my opinion, I feel like Boyan has had value throughout these past couple of seasons that wasn't apparent to the Pistons and would have been more to a contending team. And I figured they were going to stick with him because it's like, we really want to win nine games. Like, can we get to 10 wins? Like, what would you pay to get 10 wins? And it's like, well, keeping Boyan. But now that like the price is basically like, was a couple of like seconds and, and Quentin Grimes, like I was pretty, I was pretty grossed out at that trade for the Pistons. And I thought the Knicks really capitalized on, on, uh, on their ineptitude. Bayon tragically was probably the the best player moved. It seemed like a good start to the trade season. It's like, okay, let's go. Bayon finally moved. You know, he's like one of those guys that just hangs around on his bad team and everyone's wanting him to get to a good team. And they finally did it. It's, it seems like the asking price in previous seasons if they were going to consider moving him was two first round picks. And that's kind of almost what they got. Like Quinton Grimes is probably like the value of a, you know, like a late first round pick. Um, Two seconds is been considered approximately equal to like a bad first round pick so they they kind of got their two sick uh their two first round picks for boyan and they made what might be controversial but it's probably the correct decision of getting future assets as opposed to trying to avoid being the worst team of all time i'm just bummed that they couldn't even get their own pick back like the the knicks have a pistons future first it's be like top 14 protected i think it's top 12 protected next year then top 12 the following year then top 10 the next year but like eventually at some point this pick um i think 2027 or 2028 is no longer uh it, it rolls into a couple of seconds but like i don't know it's forever top 10 protected feels like you could be able to get that back at least like it's your own goddamn pick i think the knicks are gonna get it anytime soon if the pistons don't get better but i do really like quentin grimes going there Sorry, you go. I was going to ask about Grimes. You like Quentin Grimes? I don't know why I'm holding this fucking microphone. Because <laughs> we're on video. You want to look professional. That's right. This yeah, microphone yeah, is awesome. dead. You mentioned Quentin Grimes. You like him going there. Tell me why. Why do you like Quentin? I'm not saying I don't believe in him, but the Knicks seem to give up completely. What do you still see? So the Knicks got better faster than they expected. And I think that just shoved Grimes out of the rotation. He wasn't getting consistent minutes and touches. It's, it messed with his flow. But, like, I know it's the freaking rookie sophomore game, but he went off up on the Rising Stars game. I forget if it was last year or the year before. Uh, I was just draining threes. Looked like one of the great up-and-comers. I was super excited that I had a bunch of grime stock coming into this year. I think I was mint eaten by Dante and by Josh Hart, and I get it. They're veterans, and actually Dante DiVincenzo has been playing insanely good. But if you wanted to design a player that would be good next to Cade, it's... It's a athletic for or a, you know athletic wing who can hit threes and will try on defense and that's what Grimes at least the short term billing for him is and like I I think that has potential to be a very nice fit in Detroit maybe not this year but 
moving forward, he's age-wise aligned with the guys. Um, you know, it, it's the type of piece that I feel like makes sense for the Pistons to at least take a flyer on. Yeah, I agree. Like it's the perfect kind of player that you want next to Cade if you're looking at a, you know, sort of a low, uh, more role player kind of guy. Can hit threes, um, solid defender. If you look at like some of the like matchup difficulty stats, he's like statistically taking like the hardest guy every single night. So like he'll at least is a guy that can compete against pretty much anyone defensively. Um, and like, yeah, th- like that's the kind of guy that you want next to Cade. Just a, a solid 3 and D player with some ball skills, some athleticism. Um, and hopefully can develop into more. Yeah. Like, I want you to think about Killian Hayes and just ask yourself, what if instead of driving into the middle and pulling bad mid-range shots all the time, he floated to the corner catching shot threes and maybe wasn't quite as good of a passer? And ask yourself, is that a better fit? I want to note that I went, me and Jack the Kings fan, not together for this one. We went to the Nuggets game together. But this one, separate occasions, both decided to go to the Kings-Pistons game. I saw not only just one of the worst losses I've ever seen, but the very last Killian Hayes-Pistons game. I watched that, guys. I didn't realize I was witnessing history. I thought he was pretty good. It was a combination of, like, De'Aaron Fox was clearly injured or didn't care and stopped trying defensively entirely. Um, and so every time Killian, who is like really trying, like trying really hard, like dribbling the ball, like mm-hmm. legs like crazy, and, like just trying to get to the rim and Fox is like uninterested in finding him. <laughs> and I was like, man, our best player can't hang with Killian Hayes. So I thought I actually thought he played pretty well. I was comfortable with the Davion Mitchell for Killian swap. So uh, it's I'm, I'm going to be curious to see who picks him up. Someone's got to pick him up, right? I mean, he's. He's way too young to say he's like, no, nah, he could never be good ever. Absolutely. I mean, the Spurs were sniffing around. The Timberwolves were rumored to be sniffing around the deadline. Both teams with uh, star Frenchmen uh, and Rudy Gobert and, and Victor Wimbenyama. I think that might be a thing that uh, maybe the Frenchies still believe in him and want to get him there. So I think you those two teams to see if maybe one of them pick him up. I thought he actually did make some improvements this year. Looking at just like his scoring efficiency, like by zone, you know, like he's improving at the rim. I don't know whether the three points any better. You and and then you've always got that thing of like dudes that can't do anything on offense, they just start trying on defense. So like he's a solid defender, decent passer, um, and was sort of improving his score scoring efficiency from a point of being one of the worst players in the NBA to like maybe you know, not quite that and so it'd be interesting to see where where he does end up um somewhere like san antonio i think not just because they've got a, a another french guy and have a history of developing you know french guards but as a team that has just like an absolute dearth of playable point guards like killian hayes might not actually hurt them too much just because you know like he's probably a better point guard than jeremy sohan is Absolutely. I think it'd be a, actually a really solid move for them because they really don't have a, like a point guard that understands how to pass the ball. And I think I think they could get him to do that. Um, I would really love to see that just to try to get Wemby the ball a little bit more. But further, we talked about, I guess, how Grimes fits to the Pistons, but does does this change the Knicks for you guys? Do you think legitimate contenders? Probably the biggest thing that it does for them is lets them stay continue to be a top seed in this season because they've got now OG Ananobi out for a while. Randall's been struggling with injury. Um, so it gives them a starting caliber forward um, to fit in and hopefully give them a high enough seed where they can be a top four team and get a decent matchup in the first round um, and be you know a second round kind of team. Whereas without this, maybe they struggle with four depth, they fall out of a top four seed and then get a much harder first round matchup. And so... And like it may improve their playoff, you know, quality. 
Um, Boyan has been a guy that's been in playoff games before. You know, he's been in a lot of um, Utah Jazz losses. Um, so he's got the experience. He knows what it's like. Um, but more so, I think it's it's a good move for them to maintain their regular season quality with some of the forward injuries that they're having at the moment. Really quickly before Nate says something, um, I feel like the Knicks hid the OG trade really well. Or sorry, the OG um, injury well, where they didn't appear desperate at the deadline and they could... Like as soon as they made the Bogdan deal, they're like, "Oh, by the way, our starting power forward, yeah, <laughs> Go ahead, Nate. Yeah, uh, have you? Did you guys watch them play? Was it last night or two nights ago? Oh, the first Bojan game. It was them versus. I didn't catch it personally. Was that versus Seventy Sixers? I can't tell. Remember or who they played? Um, Taj Gibson started at it's like Pacers, and uh, it was it was pretty horrifying. Just the lack of front court because not just Randall and OG are out. Um, Jericho Sims was out and Isaiah Hartenstein is out um, right now. So like there is nothing. I thought we were, oh, it's the Pacers because Toppin might get some play. He's over there on the bench watching his brother miss multiple dunks, uh, just getting rim stuffed. But I don't know that I think it makes them a contender, but I think it makes them a team that can suffer through a a couple of things. And like if you are the three seed, which they're still at the four, but if they can get up to the three, is Milwaukee, or if Milwaukee drops down to the four as like them versus Cleveland to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, I like their chances of making Eastern Conference Finals. And once you're there, all that's what you need is one of Philly, Boston, uh, Milwaukee, whoever's healthy enough to make it there to have a little bit of injuries, and then you're then you're in the NBA Finals. So like, I like it that I heard um, is that it it gives them salary cap spot. It gives them on spot if they want to roll this into next year and then trade him next year with some of those picks for another guy with a large salary because had they not made the move they've got evan fournier fournier's salary would have expired or had a team so they could have been in a really awkward position where they pick up an 18 million dollar option on evan fournier just to keep a tradable contract around and look silly doing that so i think it's a good move all around the knicks were one of my biggest winners of the deadline um who are some of your guys' biggest winners? Or is there a, a team or a player that you think really won the deadline? I like what the Celtics did. I feel like the East is so wide open. You really could. Really? Xavier Tillman? That, that's your big move? Yeah. I like the Tim. That's I a, like that the they, <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Um, I feel like the trade deadline was mostly just teams trying to like get under the cap. Like With, with the new salary cap implications, you really couldn't take on these huge contracts like i think you saw that that wiggins deal or chris paul like those guys are unmovable you can't move 30 million at the like mid-season anymore um but for the celtics just to grab like center depth and wing depth and and really buckle down i just liked that i think really no there's no big swings um i like that the the philly got buddy healed i i kind of do i like the value of the trade like kind of like cents on the dollar but at the same time like i'm not really sure what their plan is going forward but still just value for value i thought it was a pretty good move yeah celtics and then getting buddy healed for free <laughs> basically right yeah and just quickly um a point on the celtics Going back to a point that Nate made about clever cap mechanics, um, they effectively moved Delano Banton's cheap salary for um, 76ers washed out um, first round pick Jaden Springer, who makes a lot more money. And so they can carry him into next season as better matching salary um, before the um, salary matching rules get really difficult. So that's a nice move from them. I was just going to say, I like the fact that I'm now going to clip this together pretty easily of 
Aaron saying, I like Buddy Healed. So that was that's a win for last <laughs> segment for me. Um Man. No, I I listen, I love Xavier Tillman, a Michigan State guy, hard worker, hustler. I'm very sad that they broke up the Tillman, Jared Jackson Jr. front court. But if Tillman's playing in the playoffs, something has gone horribly wrong. You're in foul trouble or Horford has gotten injured. Like he's a break glass in case of emergency type of player, which great. Good to have one of those. If he's playing in the finals, something has probably gone horribly wrong. But I think he could play in the finals. And and for the Celtics, this the this season is is basically finals or bust or championship or bust. Really, I won't even say a finals appearance would make them happy. So you kind of have to be like disaster proof. And I like that the Celtics did that because because their centers are pretty fragile. Um, and Kristaps Porzingis. So I'm happy to see them kind of make that pivot. But. We started earlier, I mentioned I liked what the Mavs did, and Dylan kind of raised like an eyebrow at that. I guess I'll, 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 I'll specify. I like that the Mavs got better this season, because I feel like with Luka, you kind of are always on the clock about that. I, I don't like giving up a 2027 top two protected pick, but honestly, like I think the Mavs are kind of in like the Lakers situation, um, or are similar to that, where it's like we have this group, and we're either winning right now or it's breaking up in three years. Um, I think the Luca, the Luca departure, like when he wears that Lakers jersey, I mean, it's I just I'm mentally preparing for that. Um, so I like that they the got Photoshop's that. Photoshop's look good. Um, Dylan, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's um an interesting that you that you bring up the Lakers in that because I think that they have done a similar thing that the Lakers have done, which is try to get better players without really having a fundamental understanding of the type of players that you need around a Luka um, and Kyrie built team to succeed. And so, you know, if I've, if I'm playing everything through Luka, I've got supplemental ball handling and shot creation from Kyrie Irving, then I don't need to be trading a first round pick for a, a big whose best ability is scoring in isolation um, and who can't defend. I've already got non-defensive players. I've already got scorers. Why am I moving a first-round pick for a guy whose best ability is his um, individual scoring, who's been at times a decent um, spot-up shooter? Maybe he'll be better playing with Luca than with you know this garbage Hornets team. Um, so the looks will probably be better. Maybe a better shooter than Grant. But I mean, you're, you're getting you know you're adding a skill set that's not required for a very marginal upgrade in shooting a probably downgrade in defense um, compared to Grant Williams, um, although he wasn't great defensively this year either. Um, and you're giving up assets to do it. Like the players that you need is is you need Dorian Finney-Smith. You don't need PJ Washington. If you're going to move a first round pick, it needs to be for a guy who's actually going to fit into your player rotation. Like does PJ Washington play fourth quarter minutes in the playoffs? I don't think so. Like, And, and then the, the other move that they made is, is the trade for Daniel Gafford, which in terms of value, I thought was very good. Like Daniel Gafford's a starting caliber center and they didn't have to give up a whole lot to bring him in. So value-wise, it's good. But just again, in terms of team fit, like what is the point of this? Daniel Gafford and Derek Lively are almost the same player. Like, is it is it just you want 48 minutes of Derek Lively that you had to give up, you know, one, one of your moves is bringing in a Derek Lively replacement player? Like what need is that filling for you? Do you know what Daniel Gafford is averaging right now for the Dallas Mavericks per 36 minutes? For the Mavericks in one game, the six blocks. <laughs> 40 points, 19 rebounds, and two blocks. <laughs> yeah. and, and his per 36s will probably stay looking pretty good because he's competing for 48 minutes with Derek Lively. 
I just really like Gafford. I really do. I like Gafford. Yeah. I feel like he defends the rim really well. And I just liked that fit. I wanted Gafford. Because um, right yeah. now we're running like a Len McGee split thing. And those are basically all the same player. And um, we haven't touched on them. The fact that like, Kings did jack shit. But I guess I'm not as mad about that. And like I said, I think Gafford is a good player. He's a It's a good value proposition. Um, like I said, like I think Gafford's a good player. You know, he's like a top 20 five type of center it's just like did you really need that you've got Derek lively he's like the similar kind of player um what you needed was three and d wings um and you went out and got a duplicate of your starting center and a guy whose best ability is like playing small ball center offensively but can't defend at all like it's, it's like getting good players but not what you actually need on your team i will say pj has been better defensively this year uh I watched a lot of Charlotte games early because they were a sneaky fun team before the Lonzo injury. And then sneaky fun actually when Terry Rozier was off in those like first six games post uh, LaMelo injury. He got get my ball brothers mixed up here. But, you know, I, I think PJ's come a long ways. I also just think the vibes were so tarnished with Grant Williams that you needed to move off of him. You're right. It is a lot. I mean, they traded a 2028 swap to OKC to get a first to then give to... Um, Washington for Daniel Gafford. It's like that that's fine. It is gonna really limit their assets moving forward. But if you want to talk about guys that fit around Luca, yeah, having a lively and having Gafford and having one of those guys out there for all 48 minutes, it's when Luca's out there for 46 minutes, because they never take him off the court because like it, it it works. It's a good fit. Um I'm calling it because it's at least a good move in the short term. Yeah, I'll say that. I'll call it a winner. Do we have any losers? Most of the losers, I feel like, were the the ones that that stood pat. There wasn't any like, whoa, like what? What the fuck was that trade? But it's interesting when the trade deadline happened. I was like, the Lakers and the Warriors not doing anything is insane. But now I feel like they're actually playing like kind of good basketball. Especially the Warriors have been like really winning games. Um, at the time, it was like a three game win streak, but now it's like seven or something. Or I mean, it was just the 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 Warriors had a great win over with Phoenix and stuff. And so now I'm like, man, like is our Steph Clay and Draymond actually unbeaten? or should they have done something at the deadline but i i don't really know if there's a big loser for this one just because uh not much happened yeah and like you said the big losers are probably the teams that did nothing in particular everyone brings up chicago um and rightfully so like they are in such a terrible place needed to make a move um the zach levine injury maybe challenges them makes things difficult but like at least alex caruso like you needed to move alex caruso um the hawks for example Dejounte Murray seemed like he was a, a definite player to be traded, and then he also didn't get moved. You know, maybe the asset return just wasn't there. But you've got to do something, and so I think that the losers are really the the non movers. With the Hawks, I just I'm remember, I'm reminded of their John Collins trades where they were like, "We're gonna move him. We're gonna we're gonna move him." And then deadline after deadline, offseason after offseason, they didn't move him, and then they finally kind of had to pay Utah to get off of John Collins. So like. I'm worried that they're going to go down that same route. I feel like you kind of either become the John Collins where all value depreciates. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. I mean, OG, the value is much depreciated. Uh, Pascal will still fetch pretty decent value. Leon, talk was two first round picks a couple of years ago or last year. I think the longer you hold on, I really worry about Atlanta for that with DeJounte Murray. If they keep him another two years, like value's not going to go back up unless his play changes. You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become John Collins. 
No, I, I totally get that. And I, I guess I forgot about Chicago. So a team that hasn't made an in-season trade in a couple of years now. Um, you know what? They have an okay team that will make the play. <laughs> um, and that's what they want. And that's what ownership. I think someone asked the owner, like, what do, what do we sell to the fans here? And he's like a competitive group. And I guess they're kind of right. They're kind of right. Like the Hawks, like, like, sorry, the Hawks, the Bulls just had this miserable Zach Levine start. And, and it was just horrendous. And then Kobe White is this great player now. And I, I think they could be like a six seed. Like I could envision like something happening had that bad they're still overcoming that bad start but the team is like kind of competitive it's still insane they didn't do anything but i i guess i don't know why am i defending this it's stupid it was bad they should have <laughs> traded their guys and yeah. <laughs> i, mean, ahead, I guess they just still think? have the like they have the ptsd of we traded wendell carter and the pick that became franz wagner and another pick for vucevic a few years back maybe we shouldn't make deadline moves anymore which i understand i understand Sometimes you go through a bad breakup and you're hurt for a while and you don't want to jump back into the dating pool. But uh, you got to get back out there, Chicago. You got to try to find love again. Trade Vucevic. Trade trade Levine. Also, some of their options were just stripped away from them. I mean, Levine getting the surgery, being out, like no one's going to try to trade for him then. Um, DeMar DeRozan makes a shit ton of money just trying to find salaries that you can mangle together to DeRozan is very difficult. Also, apparently, DeMar DeRozan thinks he's going to get another big contract with Chicago at the end of the year. So, good luck, Bulls fans. Hopefully, you don't uh, throw more money after bad money. But my only other loser is, is a team that we already talked about, so I don't want to go too in-depth on them. But it is Detroit, finding the lack of return for Bojan Bogdanovic. Uh, I watched I watched which the Alec Burks trade happen in real time, and I was like, ah, oh, Burks the Knicks, fine. Oh, hey. Two seconds and and Quentin Grimes come back. That's awesome. And like five minutes later, they're like, "Oh yeah," and uh, Bojan going to the Knicks. I was like, "God, I went from like a steal of a trade for the Pistons to just kind of garbage." And to compound it, Danilo Gallinari just got cut. I felt like he was a valuable piece. His movement, his spacing, his leadership was really nice. They cut Killian Hayes. That's a that's a guy that we were talking about trading. We weren't able to salvage any value for him. Giving up Monte Morris and not getting much back is kind of meh in my mind. Like, I, I do not like watching Troy Brown Jr. Now, the rebuilding Detroit Pistons gave up the third highest pick that will be in this next year's draft. So there was the multi-firsts that are, like, the second worst of and the worst of four teams. Houston, OKC, Utah, and uh, uh, the Clippers. One of those ended up in Utah. One of them ended up in Washington. But the Pistons gave up second round pick which is going to be like the 32nd pick for a rebuilding team to give up that that asset just i love simone fontecchio but does not make a ton of sense to me that makes them a loser in my book to quickly derail your entire point and go back to your um analogy for for chicago (laughs) just quickly (laughs) trading for vucevic being the thing that like you know the equivalent of like you know getting your heart broken and and giving up dating it's like Yes, but also trading for Vucevic is like like starting to date a girl and then like having to move in with you after a month and also she's married at the time. It's like you, you can't then be like, man, why does love just not work for me? It's like you don't just give up altogether. Like you've just got to, you know, change the way you do things. 
it's marrying a stripper. They married a stripper. And like, <laughs> man, I just don't. Good girls aren't out there, I guess. <laughs> like trading for Vucevic is is the problem. It's not making trades in general. Yes, but I also just want to push back. We defend sex workers here. It's a legitimate business. It's like marrying a uh, terrible person with lots of red flags. We don't want to vilify strippers. I'm not vilifying them. Well, as, I guess as, as, as a James Harden yeah. fan, I'll have no um, slander of strippers. Also, exactly. also, Paul George married a stripper. So um, as, as the, <laughs> I find myself in a position as a Clippers fan that I'm a stripper defender. So, yeah. Stripper After cheating on Doc Rivers' daughter, who's now married to Seth Curry. While Doc was his coach. <laughs> and on the notes of Doc Rivers, Doc is reuniting with Patrick Beverly in a weird trade between east i just i find it funny that milwaukee's like yeah we don't want campaign around and philly's like we don't want pat beverly and they were these two organizations which should be diametrically opposed to competing with each other were able to make a swap happen does this move the needle for either of these teams do you think patrick beverly is better than campaign dylan uh, they're like opposite players right like campaign is is he's actually been um shooting pretty well this year um especially from three so he's like a decent offensive player and just another guy um in addition to Lillard in addition to god why am I forgetting his name the starting shooting guard by the name of Malik Beasley Malik Beasley a, a guy in addition to Lillard in addition to Beasley who's like gives you absolutely nothing defensively um and so Beverly is like the opposite like he gives you absolutely nothing on offense um but is a pretty solid defender and in particular if the Bucks are getting back to their you know, the style of play that worked for them before, which is deep drop coverage and guards fighting over screens, um, then Beverly fits well into that. Nothing screams Doc Rivers like getting back to the style they played five years ago, or at least playing guys that played well five years ago. Yeah, and I mean, Patrick Beverly is definitely the kind of guy that Doc Rivers will just like continue to ride with as his team is giving up a 20 to 3 run because no one guards Patrick Beverly and they're just double teaming Giannis on every play. Um, so like this, this is a harbinger of doom for the Bucks, but it's also the, the kind of the kind of the player that they needed. I actually like the deal for, for Milwaukee. I, I feel like what they're missing the dog. They needed the dog. The dog was not within them and they got someone who will break that. Um, I'm surprised PJ Tucker's not on that team already. I mean, uh, Montrez Harrell will be on that team pretty soon. I imagine. Um, <laughs> I still kind of like the Bucks. I feel like people like the, the the Bucks are the easiest. Like, oh, they're not actually that good, and look at all these like for all these reasons. But Giannis is really hard to beat in a playoff series, and like I, he got hurt in the first round last year. But he's like him, and even like a half decent supporting cast is like a conference finals appearance, just kind of waiting to happen. Like Middleton, and Middleton was also wasn't he injured during the Miami series as well, right? Like or half baked essentially and like if it, if it's like Giannis and dame like you're gonna have a really hard time beating those guys four times <laughs> what do you think nate yeah that middleton's been hurt for a bit and just keeps like the coming back from injury chris middleton uh is, has been like a year and a half uh we might just start accepting this as middleton but i i like the bucks um i considered trying to start a Giannis for mvp campaign but i just can't get there uh I, I don't think it's that far off. I don't think it's that crazy. And I think that we could be looking up uh, in you know March and saying, is, is Giannis MVP? Is is he? You know, he's gone through a lot of stuff. Uh, Pat's fine. 
I do worry about having him and Bobby Portis in a locker room together. That feels like maybe too much crazy to have in uh, close proximity and in close spaces. Who is it that says, like, you can have one of those guys, but as soon as you get two, is that, a, is that an old um, Bill Simmons trope? Like, you can have the one crazy guy, but as soon as you put two of them together, that's when it's... um. Feels like a Bill. I, I feel like Milton was cooking a little bit, but then got injured recently again from... Looks like December 17th to January 26th, he's averaging 17 half points, six assists, about four rebounds on 49, 38, 86 splits. Like, I feel like he was playing really well and playing in a bunch of games consecutively. Um, he did miss one game against Sacramento in the middle of that. But um, if I mean, they have him back and, and Damon, I think they're back. I don't know. I, I'd still like I still like their chances. And I felt like the getting Beverly was it was a pretty nice move. But, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a small move, move but uh, another small move. Phoenix getting Royce O'Neal. I actually really like that one. It's just another guy who can guard bigger wings. Because watching in the Warriors game, Durant has to be constantly good and engaged on defense. And, like, that's not what I want from Durant. I mean, it's nice that he can be a really good defender. But I'd like someone else to bear that burden and let Durant go more offensively. Yeah, no, that that was a good move. And the, the big thing for them is just that they moved two guys who weren't really playable and got one guy who is playable um who immediately becomes like a a potential closer for them um an upgrade on Grayson Allen defensively um although it is underrated that Royce O'Neal is six foot four that's really been a, an issue in his career like he's got like the game style of like a six eight two-way wing but he's six foot four and any any interest in big body Roddy getting some some tick in Phoenix or you think he's he's done I liked what Phoenix did, and I, I feel like Roddy could be valuable at some point. I mean, he kind of fills in the one of the miscellaneous Suns players that basically didn't play, but was kind of hanging out there. Yeah, they they I basically said they couldn't possibly make a deal. I didn't think they would cash in their entire end of the bench, like all six of them, basically, for one guy. I didn't factor that that possibility in. Um, yeah, I, I honestly really like what Phoenix did. If you guys had to pick between like the three... Well, I'll, I'll give the Clippers an upgrade. They've they've cleared the woods. They're a contender. But between the Warriors, the Lakers, and Phoenix, which team do you like more? We'll go with Dylan first. I probably like Phoenix best. Like they have been playing a lot better as of late. They had a really rough rough start to the season, but I feel like they're kind of figuring it out now that they're getting healthy. Um, they still have three superstars, which the Warriors don't necessarily anymore. And so I think they have just the the best players. They've got now decent depth. Um. Grayson Allen is like he having like an incredible shooting season. He's been really good for them, um, and now they bring in uh, one more just playable dude, which they've struggled to, you know, piece together this year. And so I think that they are definitely a team to watch. And I mean, they they might end up with like the fifth seed, and you know, getting the third seed is going to become, I think, really important because you don't want to face these guys in the first round. Looking at Phoenix's roster, I feel like they have eight dudes that i like you know the big three Durant, booker beal uh the kind of core role players are great and uh, nurkic then josh akogi and royce o'neill i don't know that i feel like that's a deep enough playoff eight and i feel like that is too many wings and and not enough great guard defenders not enough great like bear forward or center your defenders like uh watching them play the warriors last night just a you know, both teams went small, and I think if both teams are going to go small, the Warriors have that advantage. I cannot get it through my head. No matter what the Warriors' record is, no matter how many times I see them lose to bad teams, 
I just can't, my head will not accept the fact that they are not contenders anymore. I, I'll just turn it on and there'll be a game where Curry goes crazy or where Draymond is playing his defense. Wiggins getting random post-ups and scoring and Kaminga flying and dunking. Um, my head has fully accepted that Clay is washed. Um, Clay's head has not accepted that Clay is washed because he still will jack up the shots. But I still just, I believe in the Warriors being able to come out of nowhere and still be a contender. I know they'll do that. They, they find their way. <laughs> they always find their way. Um, it'll be interesting to see. And at this point, like I think Utah's out of the play-in and I think what we have currently is how it will be at the end. Let me, let me check the standings as they are. Let's see. Um, with Utah and Houston falling out of it and the Kings, Mavs, Lakers, Warriors staying in it. I think I feel comfortable with, the, with that. What do you guys think, Dylan? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So they'll get their shot. They'll get their shot and they're not far off. I mean, they're, they are four and a half games back from the sixth seed, but there's, there's still a, a, a good amount of asphalt to play. So I'd be interested to see if they can, uh, if they can grab that the entire top 10 of the Western conference is above 500 in the last 10 games. That's kind of, I mean, they're all 500 or better on the season. So last 10 games still, yeah. still kind of makes sense to me. It just, the West is yeah. really good. Um, and there's a lot of young teams that are really stepping up. And the Pelicans have finally seemingly there. I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't make any moves around the deadline. It felt like they have a lot of guys that could have been consolidated into someone better, but that guy doesn't appear to have been on the market, whoever the better player would have been. And I don't know. It, I would have liked to have, I would have liked more moves. I took two days off of work to be able to like, you know, do trade deadline TikToks and uh figure things out. And it was like, ah. Simone Fontecchio may be the fifth best player traded from this <laughs> this class. Like I think it's I think it's Bojan number one. Um probably Gordon Hayward number two, which we should touch on in the, the Thunder in a minute, but probably PJ and Gafford somewhat three and four, and then boom, we're at Simone Fontecchio. That's like the fifth being moved. Do we think that um the the other guy that I threw in as one of the better players to be moved, do we think Spencer Dimity's gonna move the needle for the Lakers at all? The, the, the crypto all-star now playing in the crypto.com arena. Go ahead, Nate. I saw, the, I saw the look on your face when Dylan said Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, listen, I, I think Dinwiddie is going to be a really essential piece for the Lakers. Just in the fact that he gives us another wing with some size, another true guard who can handle. Um, he's not great, but the fact that we got him for and the fact that he signed with the Lakers for the 1.5 mil they offered as opposed to Dallas for the 5.2 or whatever they were able to offer tells me he's at least somewhat serious about this team and his future in LA uh, at least having some sort of future because like he took a sizable pay more of a sizable pay cut than he needed to it just gives the Lakers a fourth playable guard something we have desperately lacked and we we played Cam Reddish for large stretches at guard Max Christie started off the year a little rough we're playing him. We signed Dylan Wilder, Windler, whatever. Um, Jalen Hood Shafino got minutes at, at different moments. Like, we just needed a guard. And I'm still mad that we took Hood Shafino over Jaime Hawkins. The Dinwiddie is a great scapegoat. I'll tell you that. He's going to have <laughs> like a 2 of 10 game. They're like, get Dinwiddie off this team. LeBron tweets the, the clock emoji. Big <laughs> things soon. Didn't Spencer Dinwiddie cut. <laughs> it's like. You know, it, it's good. They got extra bodies to, to throw into the furnace, and, and that's perfect for them. But um, the Lakers' guards are so subpar at times that I do feel like adding someone that can be kind of a heat check and 
he'll have a playoff series where he shoots 45% from three. And you're like, man, how, how did this guy slip through the cracks? But he's just not someone you want long-term. I think the Lakers are kind of like the linchpin for this entire deadline. The fact that they weren't interested in making any moves kind of made like, you know, Atlanta needed a partner to dance with and the Lakers were going to be that with DeJounte. But the fact that the Lakers are interested meant nothing happened. And um, maybe some dominoes could have, could have fell, but it just wasn't going to happen. Lakers are going to roll in with them uh, with this core. Yeah. And, on Dimwitty, like it does give the Lakers now 48 minutes of competent guard play. A big upgrade over Gabe Vincent's, um, you know, although, although he, credit to him, he has had some wonderful um, outfits on the bench this year. Um, Dimwitty, as a guy who's actually going to play, should be an upgrade there. Um, and to, to make like a like a D&D um, comparison, you know, these Lakers guards, they're, they're you know, rolling d20s with like an 18 difficulty as to who's going to have a good game and you just get one more dice in hand with spencer dinwoody i like it it, it also reunites him and d'angelo russell which i kind of forgot about but they were the fun backcourt for the nets uh d'lo is the starter dinwoody coming off the bench but they still overlapped for a fair amount of time and th- there were a couple of quotes that came out spencer of like really enjoying playing with d'lo and so you know it's two heat check guys if one of them's cold one to at least kind of try out it's not going to hurt but that's what you get on the buyout market. A um, couple other guys that were recently signed off the buyout market. OKC got Bismack Biombo, uh, and Philadelphia got but Kyle Lowry, who we haven't seen play yet. But I, I want to stick with OKC for a moment because their big move, instead of trading for a big man, they signed off the off buyout and then trade for Gordon Hayward. Are you disappointed in them? Are they a loser? They're a loser in my book. I think they needed to trade for a center because i mean it's it's worse than um uh with the celtics guy um who are we talking about earlier? xavier tillman xavier tillman we're like if it's dooms it's doomsday if xavier tillman's playing in the finals the thunder are a finals contender too in my opinion i think that team's really good it's like nightmare like apocalyptic basketball if, if you're relying on bismack biombo so while well, you can say oh well they got a center you had to beef up a little bit uh, i just i don't see the fit where they beat Jokic or something or or any of the other bigs but go ahead Nate. This mag was better than Tillman for like the first half of the year <laughs> and then when Memphis decided that they were going to go to shit they were like all right we're going to cut him and uh, sign in Vince Williams because he's been valuable like just just saying your guy that you're you're wanting to break glass in the emergency is worse than Bismack Biombo. let's get that straight he's got a seven five wingspan I can't I can't argue with that well, guys, the uh, the Super Bowl is upon us. Do you have any last uh, last notes, at least with me? I think we're good. No, nah, just right. kind of a dud deadline and nothing too exciting. All right, Aaron, where can the people find you? Before I go, um, I watched the Kings lose to the worst team in the league, and we did nothing at the trade deadline. <laughs> I have been I have practiced immense patience over the last couple of days to try to see the big picture and understand that maybe maybe the right thing isn't immediate. Um, you can find me on this podcast, on uh, TikTok, Possible Chairs, and on Twitter as Possible Chairs as well. Dylan, where can the people find you? On the Hoops Temple podcast. And me here. Find me at, on TikTok, Nate underscore Hoops Temple, and uh, email us, hoopstemple at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.